Hello, I'm Gail Gibson, accredited master coach, speaker, author, and podcaster. Welcome to my podcast, The Can Do Way. My guests from across the globe have can-do stories of growth, resilience, and success to share. Tune in and be inspired by these individuals who have developed a strong can-do approach. Each one of their stories is unique. Each one of their stories has a key message. In this episode, I'm talking to Liz Sparks, psychologist, accredited spiritual coach, meditation and Reiki master. Liz is a trainer and coach for Heart-Based Living. As a Level 7 Intuitive Coach, HCPC Registered Health Psychologist, Registered Mindfulness Teacher, Meditation and Energy Practitioner, she works with clients to explore anything holding them back, resulting in lasting change in areas in their life where they most desire it. Liz has developed accredited courses for training and personal development and sessions for compassion and well-being in the workplace. So welcome to the show today, Liz. Hi, Gail. Thanks for having me. Okay, so if we can get started first, Liz, if we can take a short walk through your life, if you can give us a glimpse of your background and how you arrived at helping your clients take a heart-based approach to move forward toward their own personal growth and change? Yeah, well, I think it's just always been there for me. Um, Ever since I can remember, I've wanted to uh, bring people together. I wanted to um, lead people through things and, and talk about, I suppose, naturally quite spiritual things when I look back. And um I think it was through my own personal desire to overcome things that I found really, really challenging, particularly things like grief and anxiety. And I think it was through my own desire as well and my own experiences that I started to realise that as we open up to um, a more compassionate way of being, a more compassionate way of Um, relating to other people that everything starts to change and um, I think one of the books that touched me deeply and completely shifted my mindset was a book by um, Anita Morjani called Dying to Be Me where she talks about the extent of compassion in her own recovery from cancer and being a health psychologist I was really, really interested in supporting people to move through, to change, to shift when they were experiencing long-term pain or or conditions. And um, I think that really sums up how I got to the point of being so heart-based in everything that I do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If we just take take a journey back to, say, your childhood, when you were growing up, were you that compassionate, heart-focused child, do you feel, or was did it come later? I think as children, we're all naturally like that. And um, I think that often it gets stripped away by the challenges and the difficulties that we're experiencing. So I think as children, we are all naturally heart-based and very much in the moment and, and coming from a place of love. And it's through these different things that happen 
Um, so I would say that, yes, but I think I experienced, like most of us, you know, very challenging times. I lost my father when I was very young. Mm-hmm. And I think that these different things start to create a barrier to being able to live in that heart-based and, and, and inflow with life way. Yeah, that's an interesting point you've made there. So so if you could share, what age were you then, Liz, when your father passed? So I was nine years old when he passed and he died very suddenly. He um, he got killed in a car accident that was completely out of his control. Mm-hmm. So there was a real mixture of shock that rippled through the whole family. Um, he was very young. So it was... I suppose from one day to another, my life completely radically changed. Mm -hmm. And did you notice those around you? What was the support structure within that family network that started to show you that it was that compassion and that, that journey toward healing that needed to take place? Well, I think for a very long time, I spent as a child um, a very disconnected approach to life. I think, you know, there was a huge amount of self-protection that came in from perhaps connecting deeply with what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of support around, but um, whether that was accessed, I, I'm not sure, because I think that when we experience these these shocking um, and terrifying moments we tend to go into quite a, a closed place and don't naturally reach out and I think the turning point for me um, actually came a lot later despite you know being offered various things to to support the the process of grief I think we have to reach the point ourselves um, and have a have a realization ourselves and it came to me much later and actually was around um, my 30s that I started to properly process it. And this was the point at which I was fully engaging with compassion practices. Mm. And it was at that point I was able to then say, actually, I want to receive you know, the support around me. I want those deeply nurturing friendships that you know, I'd held probably at a distance for, you know, self-protective reasons that Mm -hmm. as a child you know when these things come to us we we do put those barriers up so actually in all honesty it was a lot later that I started to fully allow and explore it and I think that's just the right time and I Mm -hmm. think this is what happens for a lot of people yeah I, I I hear exactly what you're saying you know those you think in numbers that from the age of nine to get into your 30s it's a long period of time to some people might think, well, to not address something and not to manage it and deal with it and cope with it. But the reality is we have to go through things. We have to um, move through things to be able to get somewhere else as a result of it or learn something from the experience. Yes, absolutely. And so when you were, at the start, you said there was always this desiring you to bring people together to lead people through things and through your own experiences as you've already shared so what were the first signs you started to notice of the more intuitive qualities that you were finding and then how did you link that intuition that you were getting into the mindfulness practices that you started working in 
Yeah, well, it really was there from when I look back right from the beginning. You know, I used to absolutely love dressing up as a witch. And um, (laughs) it it was my absolute favourite thing to do. You know, making potions in the garden with flowers. It was almost like it was just, you know, I don't remember anyone telling me to do it. It just Mm -hmm. was, you know, that connection to the natural world Mm -hmm. um, and and dressing up in that way to bring, you know, that concept of healing to people. And so it was very much there. And I now realise looking back that a lot of the discomfort I would experience when I was around lots of people was that intuition of, um, you know, being sensitive to other people's experiences, feelings and energy. And again, once I got to the point of realisation with this, which again was probably, you know, fully conscious around my beginning of my 30s, I began to see it as actually this is very useful rather than being something that would sometimes put me out of action for days um, I would feel exhausted and just not understand why, why did I feel so, you know, flat? And, um, you know, we are uh, in tune with everybody around us, but when we are really aware of what we're experiencing, who we are, and when we're holding a very strong, compassionate presence, we're less likely to be impacted um, by what else is going on around us and actually be able to um, be supportive by having that intuitive awareness and, and being able to use that in a way that is actually really helpful for people. Mm-hmm. So um, it's been yeah very much a journey. And I think with the meditation, it started to bring it all together because as much as I would be able to resonate with and connect with people I suppose we can only say more energetically and understand or start to pick up in my own body what somebody else was feeling. By being able to guide them through meditation and deep relaxation, I was able to attune the practices to what I intuitively feel and and felt that people needed at that point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was there any time while you were on this initial journey of this healing and therapy work with others that the energy was taken from you you were giving permission for it to be um taken in a heavy way by your clients and what did you do to be able to bring that back to say I need to be in my right energy zone so that I can be the best for the clients who need me yeah it's interesting actually Because, yeah, I was absolutely giving what I would call my power away, left, right and centre. And um, it wasn't so much clients, actually. It was more other people or people I came into contact with or people that I put, you know, on a pedestal or, you know, and it was my own doing. You know, nobody else was responsible for that. But actually, I was giving away my sense of power is the only way I can really describe it with clarity. Mm -hmm. And not fully believing in myself and my own individual way of approaching things. And that's what actually held me back for a very long time. And it was actually when I had some shamanic healing um, that I gained this insight into how we can be giving away our sense of power or our energy or 
And um, it, again, was a huge realization for me that if I'm not stood tall and competently in my own power, um, then I'm not actually going to be able to fully do um, the job that I want to do or, you know, enjoy my life. So it was less to clients. I seem to have built up that understanding, I think, because I've been a psychologist for so long and learned about this. Um, and it was more actually to people that I was engaging with and learning from or, or developing. or And um, it was totally my own doing. And so once that awareness came, I suddenly found that I had so much more energy and so much more personal creativity and so much more insight mm-hmm. by trusting and, and seeing myself as, you know, I suppose a compassionate, empowered individual rather than looking always outside um, for that reminder of, of what we need to be doing day to day. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense, Liz. And, you know, I'm smiling as you're talking and and hearing everything that you're saying because I recently did some energy work um, with a coach um, from the US and it was such a powerful exchange um, between me and her in that I was going through some of those similar experiences you shared of giving away and it was I gave permission for it to go to the wrong places to the wrong people into the wrong work that just wasn't right for me and so by acknowledging that and accepting what my power was the things that really made me shine I reframed it and it has given me the opportunity to actually I guess you you use that word power and I'll use it as, as well to power up my ability to say no that is not the right energy field for me me and that does not make my um my power shine brightly I'm not going to do that or I'm not going to work with that person and it just has made such a huge difference um and my energy is in flow and it's so much more steady now so I hear exactly what you're saying um, and and I it think, makes perfect sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm pleased. I'm really pleased. And I think also it's reminding ourselves that it's, it's our doing. Mm. Nobody else is responsible for us. It is, it is our own awareness always. And um, I think when we come from that perspective of, you know, always being responsible for ourselves and then, you know, not sort of, you know, looking outwards at why something happened, always looking inwards and thinking, which part of me allowed myself to do this? Which part of me gave this up? Because that's where the healing is. And each time we do that, then we become even more able to hold the space for other people. Yes, yes, I completely agree. And I think that that is why you do what you do and you work your magic with the power that you have. And now I feel so too, in, in my position, when I'm with my clients, it's almost like I'm giving them a fully, fully service of myself because I'm in a, in, in a much better energy zone to be able to do that for them. Yeah. So when you stepped in, you, you've done a lot of um, academic study and with your qualifications and all of what you do. So when you stepped into the business arena and started to package your services and create these accredited courses and everything what are some of the what are some of the risks you feel that you've taken and what are some of the challenges you may have faced 
along that journey as well, actually being a business person and and uh, offering your services to those out there in the world? Well, I think I've got my dad to thank because he had his own business. So it was, it was in there. It was in the energy. It was in, it was sort of running through my blood to be that way. Mm-hmm. So I have, you know, him to, to thank for that. And um, my mum also has um, her own, own business. My brother has his own business um, and my uncle and my cousin. So I think I'm supported in that way by it just being already there to an extent. However, when I say that, I wouldn't say that a lot of the the business side of things come naturally. Um, I'm very heart led. I'm very, you know, intuitively led. And so I've had to um, learn to be okay about that in business. Mm -hmm. And um, at the beginning, I think the biggest leap of faith I took was actually deciding to cut my hours down um, at my academic job, which felt very safe. Um, it felt like, although I wasn't able to fully allow myself to be, you know, totally at ease and, and expressing myself fully in the way that I wanted to, it felt like um, the safe option. Mm-hmm. However, suddenly lots of redundancies were happening around me and I thought, hang on, this this isn't the safe option. And actually, I don't always feel great here. Again, um, that being my responsibility, not uh, the, the place around me. Mm. It was that I wasn't walking down the path that actually was right for me. So I had to work so hard on the fears of leaving what I had grown to believe was a safe option. Because um, now looking back on it, that wasn't a safe option. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel great um, a lot of the time because I wasn't working in the energy and in the way that comes naturally to me. Um, and I think the final leap of faith came and it, you know, it was only very much earlier this year that I finally just handed in my notice. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that it as, as usual with me, I woke up one morning and knew that today was the day. <laughs> like you just did it. <laughs> and then hilariously looked at my astrology afterwards and my astrology predicted it. So I was very, um, I was very pleased with that because I, I thought, well, there's a lovely, you know, little sort of nudge from the universe, if you like, that I've done the right thing. Oh, definitely. And, and the depth of your own self-belief to say, you know what, I'm going to do this today. And it was it was yeah. so right. <laughs> yeah, it literally was. I woke up and knew today was the day. Fantastic. And I, I've never looked back. I was terrified. You know, the months building up to it, I thought well, it won't work. You know, you had all the usual, you know. And then I thought, come on, Liz, this is your job. <laughs> You're doing it to yourself. <laughs> and um, I thought. Worst case scenario, I'll get I'll get work somewhere. And uh, anyway, I've never looked back. I get to work with the most amazing charities and people, and my private work um, is so varied. And um, so I think it's been about trusting, you know, those impulses that actually come through very clearly. That yeah, you're ready. Today's mm-hmm. the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think just listening to your story too, from everything you've experienced, Liz, and what you now do and how you help your clients, you've 
always led with that generosity and that compassion. So it's only natural that this has happened for you because you have orchestrated it. Life has shown you different things that you've learned from and now you are providing that space for people who need to be more mindful, to think about what's going on in their minds and to to be able to live at the right energy levels for themselves. So it just seems to me that it's been a natural progression um, to get to where you are today. So when you, you know, we've talked a lot about energy and, and the giving of permission and also taking back that control um, of the energy that we give out. And you are a mindfulness practitioner and you meditate yourself. What else do you do to manage your own well-being and to step away from the, the, the work that you do? Well, I really, really love uh, my friends. I absolutely value that time so, so much. Um, and, you know, particularly spending time with like-minded people, for me, mm-hmm. um, it's been so, so important and, and valuable and fun, really. So having, you know, those people around me that, um, you know, I can just enjoy life with and then my family, you know, having, you know, that time with people has been so, so, so important. And I think for so long I held back from allowing myself to fully engage in nurturing and nourishing uh, friendships and, and relationships for fear of loss. And, you know, the, the joy of realizing that I didn't have to do that, um, I would say, yeah, is huge. The other thing is I'm really, really, really into Sanskrit mantra. And um, I actually met Nick Peters, who's a shamanic composer mm-hmm. at my previous workplace. And, and he's he's now doing his own thing as well. And he taught me. Sanskrit mantra and I could not believe how amazing it was wow and it's it's very much the vibration of it the feeling of the words mm-hmm. so um I really enjoy using mantra and I uh, and teaching other people if the moment arises um mantras that can really help mm-hmm. and it's very much about feeling it the vibration of it in the heart um and I think the other thing that I just really value doing is spending time in nature um, mm-hmm. and, and connecting in that way. Taking the dog for a walk every day seems to be, you know, the thing that grounds and, and connects me in a way that I, I didn't know was possible, but yet so, so available and, you know, something we can do so easily. Beautiful. So I would say that, yeah, those are, those are the things that really come to mind. That's gorgeous. I love the idea of the whole Sanskrit mantras as well. It sounds really, really very insightful and fascinating. So we come to the time now then, Liz, if you could share your three can-do tips with the listeners, please. Okay. So, uh, yeah, and these very much come from my own um, experience to date. And Mm -hmm. I've got a long way to go. (laughs) You know, I've probably only done half, half my life. So I'm sure they will change. But my first one would be to become aware of the people around you, who supports you, who nourishes you, who allows you to really be who you are and connect, you know, deeply with with those people. My second one would be never, ever stop looking inwards. 
whatever is going on around you, take that time to look within. What is it within me that pulls this towards me? Which part of me is is unhealed or needs a little more attention? Because whatever we're experiencing to a degree has um, a huge, a huge um, relationship with what is going on within. Mm-hmm. And lastly, find something that makes your heart beat, uh, whether that's music or dancing or, you know, connecting with nature, because we want to be keeping that, that sense of who we are very much um, at a, an elevated state and also that, that vibration that is around us. And um, I think those would be the, the most precious things that I've connected with so far. Oh, they're beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. You know, it is that, um, that awareness and the self and, of course, the heart, anything that really excites us and brings us great joy that's, I think, worth living for every single day of our lives, isn't it? So really beautiful thank you so much so my final question for you then Liz is why do you feel a can-do attitude is absolutely essential yeah and I think we can get very caught up in in feeling well how do I get to feeling like that um so actually just believing it's possible will allow you to pull towards you the resources, the people, the things that you need to feel as though you absolutely have that can-do attitude. So um, I think it's really, really important because when we are holding that feeling within, it emanates out of us. You know, our our faces tend to be more smiley. We attract Mm -hmm. things that are valuable to us. So having that can-do attitude will just draw towards us the things that we're more aligned with because it's it, we're, we're very much on a vibration, aren't we? We're, and if we're holding that, then it, it opens us up to the possibilities to come towards us with more ease. Gorgeous. What a lovely way to end what's been a delightful conversation with you for the last half hour. And it has been very heart-centred and there's been so much generosity of the insights you've shared and just I know the listeners will take so much from it you're a very calm and gentle person to talk to and I know that um, they will learn so much from what we have talked about today so thank you so much for being my guest today Liz oh thank you for having me Gail thank you for listening to today's episode do you live and breathe a can-do attitude have an inspiring perspective a life-changing experience or intriguing story to share? Always curious and with an insatiable appetite for a good yarn, I invite you to be my guest. Do get in touch via my website, gailmgibson.com. The Can Do Way podcast, refreshing, positive and real.